good morning and happy New Year's to you. Uh, uh, happy New Year, Sierra. Happy New Year's, uh, Marianne and Alex. Congratulations uh, again. Uh, I don't. I don't. I'm not going to take credit for putting y'all together though. Uh, we'll we'll wait to see how it works out. Uh, if if you guys, because here's the thing. Uh, uh, if you guys, I really believe um, you guys are going to be a great couple. Um, and with that, then, if you guys are as great as I'm thinking in my head you are, then I didn't put you together. Uh, God did. And so we'll, we'll, we'll be praying for you all in your relationship. And everything she said is true about the, uh, the amazing uh, example that many of you all have set here at the Village Church. Um, I think one of my favorite things that I've taken away from um, all of you is that... Uh, <laughs> Is, is, is not easy and that you guys aren't as perfect as we, you know, as I thought you were until I went home with you and uh, everything. But um, that's one thing, though. That's one thing I do appreciate is uh, you guys being uh, vulnerable to those of us that are younger and, and that are thinking that, man, I want to be just like you guys one day. And, and we see you guys going this the whole time. So <laughs> we, uh, we, we do appreciate that. Uh, again, Happy New Year's. Um, uh, um, to my, my wife, and uh, I want to say to the session, thank you all for having me again. Uh, it's always a joy and a pleasure to uh, be here, uh, uh, to stand in uh, uh, for anyone that isn't able to preach. Um, I, I've been trying to preach this text for some time now. Uh, Alex asked me to come preach almost about, uh, I want to say, four months ago. Uh, let's put it in the, the September, October range. And that was during a time that I was still adjusting to teaching high school, uh, lecturing at college, uh, and speaking publicly at different events. And so because of that, that was the first time, and I, um, I can't believe I'm about to say this because some of you all won't believe me, but that's the first time in my life this season since I've graduated from college that I've talked that much. And so what happened was I, my, my vocals weren't used to me talking that much. And, and so I had got what they, uh, where's Dr. Is power here? I can't think of it. Vocal cord dysfunction. And so my, my vocal cord was doing weird things. So I couldn't, I couldn't preach on that day. And then he asked me to come a couple other times. And I had, to, I had the message ready and uh, those other two times. But once I wasn't sure if I would be here. And then the other I wasn't feeling well. So uh, what ended up happening is that the sermon that I was going to preach I kept learning and kept learning, and it no longer was a sermon. It became a series. Uh, and so uh, it's really awkward for me to preach series because I'm not the pastor, right? So the next time you may hear from me would be, I don't, we don't know, two months from now. And so I will have to refresh you all on everything we talk, I, I talked about. Uh, but for today, the series is going to come from Matthew 1, uh, 1 through 17, a very popular passage uh, uh, to none of you. Uh, so I'm going to pray, and then, and then uh, we'll we'll get started. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity. Uh, we pray now that you will open our ears and our minds and our hearts that we may receive uh, what it is you have for us in this text. Uh, be with us in Christ's name, Amen. Now the title of the series is going to be a rough beginning. So that that that's it, it, it's like the name of a TV show, right? So each 
title or subtitle or the episode title you don't really know the name of, but you do know the name of the TV show. You know the name Seinfeld. You know, you know, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air or any of those TV shows name, but you don't really necessarily know uh, the name of the episodes. And so that's going to be okay. The name of this episode will be just simply the introduction. All right. But it's going to be a rough beginning. Uh, and I use this phrase because I, it was threefold in my mind. I'm, I'm a little bit more creative than I want to be. And my creativity really isn't that creative. Sometimes it's boring and lame. And so sometimes what I think is going to work out just fine, it really doesn't. So we'll find out in a few moments. Uh, I'll call it a rough beginning because that's what is going on in this passage here in Matthew 1, uh, verses 1 through 17. It's a rough beginning. It's the genealogy of Christ, the beginning of Christ. And it's pretty rough. Uh, but the second reason is because, well, it's New Year's, right? And then you got to have something to talk about the beginning of the year or the new year. And so it's like, well, it's going to be a rough beginning, right? And for some of us, not all of you, a lot of you got your life together, but for some of us, at the very first day of the New Year's, it's already a rough beginning. And this week is going to be a rough beginning. And, and we're, we're trying to figure out, all right, is this the, what the rest of this year is going to be like, right? Uh, especially for those of you that are in college or whatever, and you got all these papers you realize, I didn't do none of these three or four weeks that I had off. Uh, if you're in my class, Charlie, right, it's going to be a rough beginning when we get back next week. Uh, so, so for some, so that's the second way. The third way I wanted to do it, and, and this, and it, it may work out, I, I don't intend it to, but I initially wanted it to be a visual sermon. One of those sermons that you see in the Old Testament, right, where the prophet will come by with his clay jar and he will hold the clay jar up and he just look at everybody and he just throw the clay jar on the ground and says, the same way that jar been broke, just broke, God said he's going to break every last one of you and walk away. I wanted an illustration, right? Like I wanted to come here. I wanted to come dressed sloppy. I wanted to be messing up throughout the whole sermon. And then you guys say, man, that was a really rough beginning to the series. Uh, that may happen, but if it does, it's not the intention, okay? So, but we're, we're going to look at a rough beginning. <laughs> These sermon series that I, that I want to do, again, the illustrations that you find in the Bible, they're, they're awesome, right? Like you can walk away and say, you know, I don't really remember much of the sermon uh, because he said a lot of names that I've never heard of or don't really care about. But I do remember this illustration, this image he gave. And I would have been I would have been more than happy to talk about how it's not about how you start, it's how you finish, right? Uh, I think it was Arkansas. I, I want to say it was playing Virginia Tech in the bowl game this year, and Arkansas had a 24 to zero lead at halftime. And I could be wrong, but I think they lost 35 to 24. And if if it was if it was up to me, and the session wasn't here, I knew they were all gonna be on vacation. We would just watch highlights from that game. And I would say, you know, that's what's going on in this text. It's a, it's a rough beginning, but it's not about how you start, it's how you finish. But that's, I can't do that because Larry's here and Martin and Pat is here. I can't do that, all right? So, but, but I, I, was, I was reminded of this story that uh, Dolores graduated uh, December with her master's degree, all right? So, uh, yeah, you can go ahead and clap for her. Uh, so this December, so, you know, uh, we're renaming the house, the, uh, the judo, the, the dojo. Uh, because we got two masters in there, Master Lee, y'all get the joke? All right, don't worry about it. The guest speaker, the guest speaker there uh, said this joke about a football game that was between the big animals, the elephants, the giraffes, all right, all the big elephants, the lions and the bears versus the little animals. 
right? You got the little birds and you got the worms and you got it, that. It was a football game going on. And in the first half, it was terrible. It wasn't pretty. Elephant gets the ball and runs in for easy touchdown. Giraffe gets the ball, runs in an easy touchdown, right? The bear gets the ball, pushes the squirrel off of him, spin move over around the turtle, easy touchdown. And he goes on and on and on. And at the end of the first half, the big animals are in the lead. It's not by that much. They're only in the lead 102 to zero. So the second half starts. Now, I know you wonder, why is the second half going on? The second half starts, and the giraffe gets the ball. He starts running, and he falls. It's a tackle. The bear gets the ball. He does a spin move. Boom, falls. He get, he's tackled. The, 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 uh, the lion said, give me the ball. He gets the ball. takes off running. It's a tackle. And they said, who, who is making all these tackles? And they looked down, and it was a centipede. And he said, I'm the one getting all the tackles. And they said, where were you at in the first half? He said, I was still taping my ankles. Y'all get it? All the, okay. So, so it's not about how you start. It's about how you finish, all right? But here with the little animals, and as we see uh, in this genealogy, we have a rough beginning. I want to talk about from this series, uh, as we get ready to look forward later on whenever I preach, we're going to see a few other things, uh, themes and things going on. Uh, We will see a sermon titled, uh, The Mess of the Messiah. Uh, We're going to see uh, The Jewish King. And we're going to see a sermon about all nations. And again, the more I study, we may see, uh, I may end up expanding on the series. But this is, a, this is a passage that, I mean, I don't think I personally have ever heard someone preach on in person. Uh, I don't think so. Uh, and if, if so, no more than one or twi- well, once or twice. Uh, I was required to actually read it myself because we went through it in my New Testament class at uh, Westminster, and as I'm reading it and I'm studying it, I said, who would have thought? Who would have thought so much would come from this passage? One person, a scholar, said that this is probably the most uh, creative and most crafty writing in all of literature. This this here, Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, what Matthew did here is amazing. And we'll see that as we continue on in the series. So what I want to do today is introduce us to Matthew and uh, the goal of his book. Well, who is Matthew? Matthew was one of Christ's apostles. Yes, we know that. Uh, Matthew was a Jew. We know that. And he was at one point a tax collector. And so the question we did ask is, why? Uh, who did he write to and why did he write to them? What's the purpose of what he's writing well, Matthew is a Jew writing to Jews. Make sure you get this in your head because it's going to be important when we go through this. Matthew is a Jew writing to Jewish audience, writing to a Jewish audience. Uh, he is, uh, well, let's keep going, Mark. Mark is writing to a Roman audience, okay? Luke is writing to a primarily Gentile Greek uh, audience, and then John is writing in a day and time that, uh, that he's, for the most part, writing to everyone, but he's writing with a totally different goal. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we know, are the synoptic gospels because everything that they say are so similar. And then you read John, and there's nothing that much in common. 
Very little is in common with John and the Synoptic Gospels because he was writing in a totally different time period uh, with a totally different goal in mind. Okay, so we ask, uh, who are they writing to and, and, and why? Well, let's look at the genealogy in all of them. We're going to read Matthews in a few moments, but Mark doesn't have a genealogy. Mark doesn't, why? Well, because Mark is writing to Romans. And the goal of Mark is to present Jesus as the perfect servant. All right, get that. I want you to remember that. Mark, perfect sermon. Uh, servant, all right? Mark is trying to get the image across that Christ is the perfect servant. Well, guess what? A servant, there's no need to know the servant's genealogy. There's no need to know the servant's background. So that's not what he's going to start off with. These Romans will get bored immediately. Now, Luke is trying to show Christ as the perfect man, the perfect man. John is trying to prove and show that Christ is God. All right, so when you look at the genealogies, uh, you look at Matthew, who is trying to present Christ as the Jew of all Jews, the one that is worthy to be uh, crowned king, the king of the Jews. All right, when we read the genealogy, that was Matthew. That's Matthew's goal. Again, Mark doesn't have one. Uh, Luke' goal is different. Uh, Luke traces him back to Adam. All right, uh, Matthew traces him back to Abraham. So in the beginning, all right, so Abraham with Matthew. Luke says, oh, I can go farther than Abraham. He's a descendant of Adam. To show what? Well, this is a better Adam. Adam mean in Hebrew man. All right. So this is a better man. This is the man of all men. And then John says, I, got, I can go even farther than Adam. In the beginning. In the beginning. See, I'm not trying to show that he is, you, all right, you guys already have the letter circulating that he's Christ, that he is the perfect man, the perfect servant. I got to show that he is God. Because during that time period when John was writing, many people started thinking that Jesus was just another prophet, another really great person. And John said, I got to write another gospel account. Okay, so that's the reason that they are each writing what they're writing. All right, so Matthew is a Jewish writer writing to Jews. And what, we, what, I, what I noticed as I was going through Matthew is that you kind of see Matthew battling or wrestling with himself, maybe, uh, between him as the Jew and him as a tax collector, a former tax collector. Well, how, where do I see this at? You see Matthew trying to get the Jews' attention. And so he says things, that, and he uses a lot of prophecies. He uses a lot of, uh, allude, he alludes to prophecies a lot, all right? And he, he says stuff like, as it was written, or so that the prophecy will be fulfilled. And he does things like that over and over and over. And he doesn't have to explain it because the Jews are reading it. They know what passage it was from. He, they know what the reason he put that there. All right. So he's using a lot of Old Testament scripture because he wants to get in their brain that Christ fulfills all these prophecies that we, we as Jews are longing to be fulfilled in our Messiah. Okay. So Matthew is doing that as he's writing to the Jews. But there's another side of Matthew. There's another side to Matthew. This tax collector. And as a tax collector, he understands what it feels like to be an outcast. Right? He understands what it feels like not to be treated like the rest of the Jews. He knows exactly what that feels like. And so in Matthew, we have over and over and over an emphasis of the outcasts, the marginalized, the minorities 
being represented in a place that no one else will represent them during that time. Uh, for example, and, and all of this, I'm going to go into much detail later on in the series. But look at this. When we talk about the outcasts, no one else is going to mention women in a genealogy. And, and to be honest, and uh, you just you don't have to because they trace it through the man, right? And so no one would mention women, much less the women that Matthew uh, decided to mention. See, he's a Jew, so he has the genealogy, he has the family tree. He knows that because the Jews, that's something they held on t- very closely to. But he says, you know what? I'm going to mention Rahab the prostitute. I'm going to mention Uriah the Hittite, who isn't in Christ's lineage. But, I, he, but he was an Israelite because, of course, Israelites weren't all Jews or or when I say that, they weren't all from Israel. When, that, when you had this mass exodus coming out of Egypt, it was mixing with all kinds of people. That's why Moses in his second marriage married someone that was not an Israelite, and he got rebuked from that from his siblings, who then God rebuked them for rebuking him. That's why you have someone like Uriah the, the uh, Hittite. An uh, Israelite in the Old Testament, for the most part, was simply someone that believed in Yahweh. That's why Rahab, when she, when she came uh, with her uh, mother-in-law, uh, Naomi to uh, Israel, she became an Israelite because of that. And so someone like Rahab, who was in the walls of Jericho, becomes an Israelite, becomes part of Christ's family tree, because as, as Paul teaches us, a true Israelite, a true Jew, isn't by blood. It's by who you put your faith in, and that's Yahweh. All right? So you have people like this missing in, in Matthew. You have Matthew... Talking about Uriah, like I said, the Magi's. He's bringing up the, these three men from the east, which a lot of people think are from Babylon. Like, if, if, if Matthew, being a Jew, wanted to puff up the Jewish people's head, he would have had Jewish people looking for the, the Savior to be born. Right? But no. In fact, the king of the Jews in the time who was Roman, but the king of the Jews, Herod, you can see in a juxtaposition, right? These Magi's are looking to worship him, and the king of the Jews at the time is looking to kill him. And where does Jesus flee to when it's time, when, 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 uh, where does his family flee to to save him from being killed? Egypt. Why? Because God, from the beginning of time, and Matthew understands as he's writing, wasn't an exclusive God. His goal was to reach to all peoples. How, much, how, how do you think you would feel if you was an Egyptian that read Matthew's letter? Wait, we're, our, our place is where that saved the Christ from being killed? Can you imagine the pride of that? We, our land is what saved the, 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 the Savior. You have uh, a centurion soldier who displayed faith that caused Christ to marvel. We only see Christ marvel twice in all the, uh, in all the Gospels, in all the Bible. We only see him marvel, marvel twice. One is with the centurion soldier and the other is with uh, his own hometown. Now watch this. He marveled at the centurion soldier's great faith. He marveled at his own hometown lack of faith. Matthew talks about both of them. Matthew understands as a task, like, yes, I'm a Jew. And yes, I was taught as a Jew that we are the people. And it is all about us. And all the promises are for us. But as a task collector, I know what it feels like to be left out to be mocked and criticized by society, to be shunned and ostracized. I understand what that feels like. 
Jesus told the centurion soldier, according to Matthew, no one else says that Jesus says this to him. I haven't seen such great faith in all of Israel, in all of the world. So you have the centurion, you have the uh, Canaanite woman, which can confuse you because Christ tells her, hey, I'm here for the Israels. I'm here for my people, the Israelites. I don't, would you feed the dog the loaf of bread on the, ta- on the family table? And she says, well, no, Lord. But the dog, they can at least get the crumbs, right? Oh, Jesus was so, he was so impressed with her faith. See, Jesus wasn't just there to help and heal the Israelites. We know that because he had been healing other people before her that weren't Israelites. He wanted to test her faith. The same thing he did with Mary. Jesus knew he was going to turn water into wine, right? But he says, what, what does that have to do with me? And what does she do? She displays her faith. She doesn't even respond to him. She just says, do whatever he say. Right? He said, woman, this is not my time. I have nothing to do with this. Do whatever he say. He just said, well, he was going to do nothing. But she displayed her faith. All these applications that we see coming in as we're going through what Matthew is wrestling with and as he's shadow boxing himself in his own writing. I am a Jew. I want, to, I want to emphasize to the Jews that Christ came and that he's the Jew of all Jews. But I, I also want to understand that it's not just about us, well, he, the reason he came. Right? Who, who was the one that helped Christ carry his cross? It was a man from Cyrene, from Cyrene, a guy named Simon. It wasn't a Jew that helped him or Israelite that helped him. And who of all society were the first people to realize that the grave was empty and go and tell everyone? It was women. Again, and I want to say back in that day and time, you know, you don't, you don't put one on such a high pedestal, but a lot of people have a hard time doing that even today. All right? So we can understand. We can understand. Matthew has a, a much bigger goal with his writing than saying, hey, I'm a Jew writing to Jews, proving that Christ is the Jew of all Jews. And then Matthew does what he really does in chapter 1. He does at the end this great commission to all the nations, to all the world. But we see that in chapter 1. Is the, the, the theme of all people included is really the bookend of Matthew, and you see it all in between. It's not just the great commission. And so we have all these outcasts here. So let's look in Matthew chapter 1 for maybe about 10 more minutes and then we'll be done. All right, verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. This word genealogy is that same word, uh, Genesis, all right, beginnings. So the beginnings of Jesus Christ. All right, you see this same word used the same way in Genesis chapter 5, right? The, 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 uh, the Genesis, all right, of Adam. And then you see the generations or the, 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 uh, the genealogy of Adam. I believe it's Adam in Genesis chapter 5. I want to make sure. Yes, of Adam. And then it goes through with Adam begat so-and-so and so-and-so begat so-and-so. I know you guys have read it several times. All right. And so one thing I noticed, and I, I really noticed this morning as I was trying to go through this one more time, is, again, I'm using this book in again. In the genealogy, what do you, what do you use uh, verse 16 or 17 as the ending? You see in verse 1, Jesus Christ, 
And then as the, the, last, the first name, and then it, again, whether it's 16 or 17, Jesus Christ, again, is that bookend, that last name mentioned. But here's something else that was interesting. Who else is in that bookend? David. If you, if you, if you say uh, well, we're trying to see the genealogy of Christ, David is the first one mentioned. And then if you look at verse 17, you see his name of all the people in the genealogy is mentioned again. I really think that Matthew, being a Jew, all right, writing as a Jew, using Jewish words, using their tactics, their, their ways of memorizing things, all right, he's being very skillful in trying to point and, and suggest and, and let the readers know that this guy is from the, the lineage of David. And, of course, he leaves some names off, but in the three sections that he lists names, you have 14 names, 14 names, and 14 names. All right, why is that important? Well, let, me get, let me back up before I get to that. All right, some of the names, of course, are missing. But the same thing, he does that in verse 1, right? Jesus Christ, the son of David. Jesus isn't the son of David. There's a lot of people in between that lineage, right? And then you have the son of David, the son of Abraham. David isn't the son of Abraham. There's a lot of people. So what he's doing is he's using these certain names Probably, uh, if you were reading it in the, in the original language, probably as a rhythm, uh, rhythm so that it's easy to memorize. But he also saying 14 names. You got it. All right, here's 14 more names. You got it. All right, 14 more names. And then you get to the very last verse, verse 17. So all the generations from Adam to David is 14. All right, from David to the deportation of Babylon, 14. And from the deportation of Babylon to Christ, to Christ 14. A lot of scholars, and some would disagree. Some of them would adamantly disagree. Some would say, well, I don't know. Uh, but a lot of scholars would say that this here is a method that Matthew is using, that Jewish people use all the time uh, as, a, as, a, as a reminder uh, of words. Okay, one thing that they, uh, they brought up was uh, this term. I don't know if I wrote the term down, actually. Uh, I don't think they wrote a term. That, I don't think I wrote it down, but it's like this numeric uh, this numeric term and this numeric idea right now is right here. Yes, the numeric value of a name. Now, I'm, again, I'm sorry for those of you that don't really care, but for those of you that do care, you might be, you might think I'm educated. Uh, uh, the Hebrew letters each have a numeric value, okay? Like for us, A will, will probably be the value of one, right? B will probably represent two and so on and so on. Well, they, they had the same value system, but they kind of got to, once they got to 10, it kind of went from 10 to 20, then 20 to 30, and then you get to the 100s and 900s. So with David, the numeric value of how they would sometimes abbreviate his name would just be the number 14. Well, the reason is because the D uh, value is 4 and the V uh, value is 6 and the other D is 4. Remember, in Hebrew, you don't have vowels. The Masoretic... Uh, added the vowels later on to help you pronounce the words better or how they felt like the words should be pronounced. So with Yahweh, it is just a Y and an H and a W. And then, uh, of course, the uh, Germans translated the, the Y with a H. And they do know they do all that. Fancy. It's a J for them to have a Y. And then uh, instead of the W, Jehovah, uh, they put a V because all their W's pronounced. So that's where we get Jehovah instead of Yahweh. Uh, so anyway, I'll say that say this. So with David, you really have just a DVD when you're reading it in Hebrew. And so when they see 14, they want to think of David. So I said all that to say this, what? You get 14 names, 14 names, 14 names, 14 generations. Here, 14 generations. 
It could be. I'm not saying it is. All right. I don't want to get to heaven and David and, or Matthew say, dude, that's totally not what I was doing. All right. I just want you guys to know it is possible. It is possible that as Matthew is writing this, that he is screaming, David, David, this is the guy that's the heir to the throne. David, remember David, remember David. This could be what's going on. And one reason I lean more so towards that is verse 16 where he says this. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called who? The Christ. Now, we're going to find out, that's actually how I'm going to end, the other names that Matthew gives to Jesus. But he finishes the genealogy with, he's called the Christ. Who is the Christ? Well, David was the Christ. Who else was the Christ? Any king. Christ simply means the anointed one. And any king would get anointed, and they're considered the Christ. They're considered the Messiah, the anointed one. The one that's going to save the people. And so he doesn't end with, oh, his name should be Jesus. No, he's going to, oh, and by the way, Jesus is going to be called the Christ, an heir to the throne. And when I get to the sermon, uh, the Jewish king, I'll talk about how Joseph and Mary's lineage ties into Jesus' rightful uh, uh, inheritance to the throne. But here we have the Christ. And what is this Christ is going to do? Well, he's coming. To save all these people you see in this lineage and more. He's coming to save his family and anyone else that joins into that family. See, this is a family affair here. You have to be adopted in, just as Jesus was into Joseph's family. All right? You have to be adopted in. So we have Jesus coming, the Messiah, the Christ coming to save his family and his people. Look at verse 21 of Matthew. She will bear his son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? Why are we going to call him Jesus? For he will save his people from their sins. That's the goal. Of why, that's the reason why the Christ is coming. Who is in his family? Who is his people? See, Christ, everyone else, we're relying on our family members to, to, to bring us here. We needed our parents and our grandparents and our great-grandparents to be here. But see, Jesus isn't relying on his family. His family is relying on him. I don't think there was probably anyone in all of history that took more care of a baby than Mary. Because she needed this baby to grow up and save her from her sins. And so Jesus, this Christ, is coming to say, who's in his family? If you look at the genealogy of Christ, you see scandalous women in this genealogy. He came to save them. One preacher titled a sermon that he preached on Matthew chapter 1, X-rated grandmas. Alright, like, like the, the things that they did was so inappropriate. And we're going to talk more about that when we look at the mess of the Messiah. Alright? Who, who, who is in this family lineage? We have people that are notorious for their evil character and deeds. That, that Matthew lists in this genealogy. Who is in this, this genealogy? We have corrupt kings. As I was writing corrupt kings, now, now I'm, again, I'm not being over spiritual, I'm not saying that this is a God thing, but as I was writing it, my pen kept messing up. And as I'm writing Corrupt Kings, and I took my notes, and I, I went back to it maybe an hour or two later to get ready to finish, the Corrupt Kings didn't look like Corrupt Kings anymore. The, the way that the pen kept going out, it looked like great. It liked the word great instead of corrupt. And these people were great kings, a lot of them. But even these great kings were corrupt. As KB said, uh, they may be the best of men, but they're still just men at best. 
You have great kings that are corrupt, and these corrupt kings are great, at least at the eyes of the people. But they're all saying, we need this Messiah to come. See, that's the reason Abraham is saved. That's the reason all these people in the Old Testament are saved. It wasn't by their works. It wasn't because, oh, since Christ isn't here, they must have another way to be saved. No, they are still saved through what Christ did. And they put their trust that one day a Messiah will come and save them for their sins and from their sins and forgive them. Who is in his lineage? You have uh, Gentiles. You have minorities. Right? This great and corrupt thing that I was talking about. If you look at the genealogy, the first 14 names, you're like, man, this is good. At least with the men. And then you get the next list, it's, it's downhill. Terrible. Then you get the next 14, it goes back up. Why is Matthew naming these people? Why would Matthew name these type of people? I honestly believe it's because he's a tax collector. And he understands that Christ came for the worst of people. Think about it. When, when you're at a family reunion, if Pat, you take me to your family reunion, let's say Pat, because Pat likes me and I like Pat, so I know that he won't be upset if, we, if I use him. If, 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 I, if you take me to your family reunion, you're going to only, really, most people only invite me to, to meet the best of all people. Like, if I take you guys to my family reunion, I'm probably not going to introduce you to my drunk uncle. That's probably not going to happen. I'm going to introduce you to my uncle that got his life together. All right? I'm not going to introduce you to, to like, like, of all people, of all the women that's in Christ's lineage, you're going to mention Rahab, the prostitute? Right? You're going to mention Tamar, who, who pretended to be a prostitute so she can uh, have a baby by her father-in-law? Really? That's who you're going to introduce me to in your family reunion? No. But Matthew, he has a bigger goal in mind. And perhaps, when we talk about textual criticism and arguing about whether or not the Bible is true, this helps support that the Bible is true. Because if, if, if I want to show that Christ is the king and the perfect person and how great he is, I'm going to only mention the good things. I'm going to only, I'm going to say men discovered he, uh, that he, that, that discovered that he was risen. Not women, because in that day and time, a woman's voice in court wouldn't even be heard. And that only changed about, what, 50, 60 years ago? All right, so, so, so that helps. Well, all right, so we have this Christ that is coming as Jesus to save his people. But he's more than just the Messiah. Who else is he? Verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. See, he's much more than a king. There's been a lot of kings. And there's been some great and corrupt ones. But see, this Messiah is more than just an anointed one. He is God with us. He is God with us. So let me get ready to end. Why, why, why would I start my sermon series and say come back next time I preach to, to hear more about this? By emphasizing a rough beginning. A dark past, right? The, the mess of the Messiah. Why, why, why would I emphasize that? Well, here's the reason why. Uh, I, I got permission from one of my students. Let me, so let me tell you, first of all, I've been hearing through the school that I'm just one of the best teachers ever. Uh, I, in, my, in my particular class, you, you are not required to take a test. Uh, you don't have to take any of my tests. Uh, 
You can choose if God's gifted you with something else to present your knowledge. You can choose another way to display this knowledge, whether it's a musical instrument, uh, a song, a painting, a uh, interpretive dance, or something like like if uh, one one child welded something and gave like a five minute mini sermon on it. Like like you don't have to take a test because of things like this, where some students come and they're able to present how much they learn way better through something like this than they did by circling A, B, or C. Uh, so Elizabeth Flashbart, she's an 11th grade student in my class. She painted this picture for her, uh, for her Matthew comprehensive exam. And it, it actually, like, I didn't cry, but if, if, if the right breeze would have came by, a tear would have fell out as she was discussing. It was amazing. And I wish I, I kept my bulletin. May I borrow one of your bulletins so I can have a better view? Thank you so much. Um, if you look at it, you see at the very bottom this very, very dark hill, very dark. And in this, in this hill, she has painted uh, Tamar, uh, Rahab, and Bathsheba. Or again, if you, if, it was, uh, if you read Genesis chapter 1, uh, she doesn't, he, Matthew doesn't list her as Bathsheba. He calls her the wife of Uriah, which highlights even more so David's sin. All right, if you look at Tamar, is it me or you? Uh, if, if you look at Tamar, uh, you see a writing around it that uh, says something along the lines of your daughter Tamar, uh, excuse me, Tamar has been immoral. She has done an immoral deed because she has, uh, because she has slept with her father-in-law or she has slept with you, her father something along that line in Genesis. All right, this is Tamar in Jesus' genealogy. You can see, I wish you guys, we actually had the canvas here. You can see in details, you know, her being a prostitute or trying to disguise herself as a prostitute by, by putting the, 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 uh, the, the scarf around her face so that her father-in-law can't tell that it's her. Then you have Rahab. You, know, you see Tamar, the T, R, Rahab, B, Bathsheba. All right, and then you have Rahab who throughout most of the Bible, Every time she was mentioned, I think except four or five times, the rest, she was always mentioned as uh, Rahab the prostitute. No one really let go of her past. And, and so in Joshua, it talks about this, this lady named Rahab who hid the spies who was in her room. Now, no one questioned why the spies are in a, in a, in a, a prostitute's house, right? We put all the emphasis on the prostitute. All right? they, was, they, they had other intentions as well. All right, so some of my sermons are going to have to highlight the grace of God. All right, they had other intention. Well, they 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 are in this prostitute's, prostitute's house. Soldiers are coming. They have to hide, and she hides them because she's heard about Yahweh and what He's done. Now, what's really cool is that if you see Rahab's name, uh, that R isn't like the rest of Tamar and Bathsheba. That R is actually that red cord that she was supposed to hang out of her uh, tower. Again, remember that she lived inside the walls of Jericho. And so if you see the gray part that's a little uh, lighter than the rest of the black, that's the, the uh, tower of her that she lives in inside the wall of Jericho. Again, she did a mar- uh, marvelous job with this. And then again, you can see her face being disguised uh, as because she's a prostitute being covered up. And then Bathsheba, she only took the verse from Matthew that says the wife of Uriah. And you can see her back is turned. Uh, either going to David or coming from David, 
uh, both. Either way, you can see the shame, the guilt. You can see you can see the the uh, the uh, arm sleeves hanging along the side of her arms. And, and I'm, I'm I'm blown away as she's describing this. And then she says, "But one thing we notice from Matthew, the book of Matthew, is that this is the genealogy of Christ. But look what came from this dark, such a dark, bad beginning. You have this beautiful scene, this bright, this bright sunshine. You have the cross. You have this 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 dove, right? This pure, this purity, the baptism of Christ. But you have the the image of the Holy Spirit. You have just this gentleness, this this humility, this perfection, this." Uh, holiness that came from such a dark beginning. That's what's going on here in Matthew, uh, in Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 to 17. Yes, he mentioned uh, Rahab. Yes, he mentioned Tamar. Yes, he mentions a lot of kings, uh, one of whom the line was cut. Like God said, you will never have another king reign through your bloodline. Which, which ended the promise that God made to David. Because if another king can't come to his line, then where's the king going to come from? And then we're going to see the, in the Jewish king how Joseph is, again, the rightful heir, but he can't be the king because that, 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 uh, that curse that was put on his lineage. But Jesus, not being blood born through Joseph, can inherit, you see, he can inherit that king, uh, that kingship through him, because he, uh, you see this throughout history, right? A uh, king doesn't have a child, so they adopt a child, and that child is seen as the king. You see that with Caesar Augustus, all right? So uh, that's why uh, I, we, we went through Matthew chapter 1. We're going to go through Matthew chapter 1. That's why we're going to look at such a rough beginning. And uh, next time Alex have me, which uh, after he hears the sermon, it may be two years from now, but <laughs> after Alex have me, we will look at the mess of the Messiah, okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you remind us, even today, that regardless of our family's past and our family's history, regardless of the sin that we have committed, and regardless of how dark our last few weeks, days, months, years have been, you can bring light through such a dark place. Because you did in Genesis where there was nothing but darkness. There was void and emptiness. And you said, let there be light. Will you speak light into our lives? Because one thing we understand and believe is that when you say for light to come forth, light has no choice but to come. We thank you for the Christ. And we thank you for bringing him through such people that we can now say that he is a person that understands. He is a person that, uh, that is fit for us, that he is perfect, and that he died for our sins. And Father, remind us that whatever guilt, whatever shame we have in our past, we can still join the family of Christ because of your love, your grace, your redemption, and your, your merciful power that you have. Thank you, and be with us throughout this year and forevermore. Amen.